Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to have an amazing celebrity. And oh my God. she's an actual millionaire. <laughs> yeah. I've been following her TikTok for so long. So excited to have Cherry Tongue. Welcome. How are you doing? Thank you. And I've been following your TikTok too. That's how we met. Yes. And I love all your bags behind you. If you're (laughs) watching the podcast right now, she has an epic collection. So, oh my God, Um, you're just uh, such an inspiration for me. So can you tell us like what what do you do now? Who do you help? And uh, what is your business currently? Yeah. So what I do now, I actually retired from corporate already, so I don't have a job. Um, And honestly, it's still kind of like an adjustment period to not have that job title because that was my identity for so long. And now I'm helping other um, corporate people or honestly people who are just doing things that are not in alignment to retire from whatever that doesn't bring them joy anymore. So that is what I do. I help people discover income streams are in alignment so that they can build their passive income ecosystem to retire from whatever that doesn't serve them anymore. That's so awesome. And at the time of recording, we're in like this great, you know, resignation period. And from, because I'm Chinese, I'm an immigrant. From our perspective, I think if you make it to the big four, it's like you've made it in life. Like, why would you want to, you know, do anything else? So when you talk about alignment, can you share with us like, what was it like working at the big four? And when did you feel like out of alignment? Right. So I got into big four in my junior year of college. And, you know, at that time I was, you know, I went to the accounting school and everyone in the accounting school was like, oh yeah, big four is like the way to go. It's basically like the um, investment banking like equivalent in the accounting world. And, you know, at that time I was like, oh yeah, like I made it. This is so great. And then, you know, they serve their interns really well. Um, they take them to Disney, you know, all these perks, free meals, and then, you know, steakhouses and stuff like that. So at that time I really thought I made it, but then when all these faded, as I started my first year at big four, um, there's also a side story. I actually also switched location. So I was going to go to the Bay area, but because of a relationship at the time, um, I decided to stay in LA and that switch also, I guess, I think it has to do with um, the fact that I switched locations. So last minute, so the scheduler put me on a really difficult client and it was um, actually a client who got delisted. So it was like a very tricky situation. Everyone worked really long hours and there was also a lot of just passive aggressiveness. Like if people finish their work and they were going to go home, then everyone else in the room would be like, ah, must be nice. You're going home now. And I just remember like going through all that and thinking to myself, is this how I want to live my life for the rest of my life? Like, is this how I want to envision myself in the next 40 years? Do I want to make partner? Do I even want to make like senior? Do I even want to make manager? And I just remember telling myself that, Hey, like, you know what, like as great as that is, you know, that glamorous title, that big four name, and you know, the respect that people give you, I don't think that's the way I want to live. And I don't picture myself in that next step. So that is when I realized that, Hey, it's not in alignment and something needs to change. That's amazing. I love that story. Cause I think so many of us can resonate, you know, especially with the, Hey, even if you get your work done, there's still other people are like trying to drag you down or like make you feel some type of way. So thanks for sharing that. And you started investing. And when I see you like sharing your investments, just like, wow, it's so amazing. So how did you get started in that? How did you start investing? 
I started investing, honestly, within my retirement accounts. So basically, when I started my internship, I think I had options to, you know, start your, I think at the time, it's like 401k. And so that's when I really, I guess, dip my toes in. I think it's kind of late, honestly, because I'm not American. And so I didn't grow up with like American families or American parents who like, you know, tell me to invest. I had no idea what the frick a 401k or Roth IRA or all that stuff is. So there's like a lot of like, I guess, self-learning. And also I had, I was fortunate enough to have mentors who like, you know, walk me through like, oh, hey, like, what is a credit score? How do you build your credit? Things like that. So I think um, that is how I initially started. But when I actually started stock picking, I think that's around maybe second year of my corporate life, I start stock picking because I was like, hey, you know what, like index fund is great, but I want to have more control over my finances. And because my background is in counting and reading financial statements, I'm like, let's put it to use, right? And so yeah, around that time was when I start stock picking. Okay, that's awesome. And what is, I guess, general advice on people wanting to start investing in the stock market? What would you say to them? I say go for low cost index fund. I don't actually suggest people to start stock picking right away because there is definitely a learning curve and there is a high risk. Like, especially nowadays, like um, at the time of the recording, stock market is crashing right now. And so a lot of people are <laughs> literally losing like, you know, 20, 30, 40% of their portfolio overnight because the stock market is crashing. And when it comes to individual stocks, it's usually more volatile, especially like tech stocks, very volatile. And um, like, my my husband, he has a lot of tech stocks. So like, I think he lost like, I don't know if I should say this, but he lost like 400K <laughs> over, over the past couple months. So it's definitely very um, volatile. And if you don't have the stomach, like if, if, if you can't stomach the risk, then just go for low cost index funds and just follow the overall market. Because what this does is that you are basically buying a basket of many, many different stocks and many, many different companies. So even if, you know, um, a couple of these companies fail, your overall portfolio won't be affected or impacted as much because you are diversifying so much with low cost index funds. That's amazing. I would say that's a flex to be able to even like invest that amount and be able to ha handle that up and down. I think that's a we're awesome. like, we could have put that towards the down payment in a Vegas <laughs> property, but you know, it, yeah. <laughs> And that's awesome because I, you know, you, you talk a little bit about like how you were living out of your car to like, you know, do a down payment. Can you like, cause I think when I was growing up, like my mom got her house in 2006, like literally the worst time. So for a really long time, I was just discouraged from real estate and now I'm studying for my license right now, but what was it like uh, buying your first house um, and the down payment also? I, I think it's a completely emotional decision to be honest. I did not, I did not really choose a house that like makes financial sense. And I think I was just so like desperate at the time. So hmm, how, where should I even start? So I always had this like, like huge scarcity mindset going around because my parents are always saying, oh yeah, you must um, save your money. You must, you know, penny pinch, save every, you know, every dollar that you earn. Like this is the only way to get rich. And so um, after, you know, I entered into the corporate world and, you know, also a couple of failed relationships that really hurt my self-esteem. Um, I decided to live in my car to save money because I'm like, oh yeah, I want to save as much money as I can. I want to save every single dollar. Like I don't want to spend any money on expensive apartments. And so I was living in my car. And even afterwards, when I got an apartment, I just, you know, was really stingy with myself that I didn't even buy a bed. I was sleeping in a hammock. Damn. Wow. Yeah. So I was like very stingy with myself. So by the time when I actually, you know, got to the point that I can't afford a house, I actually just bought a house because 
it just like, I just vibe with it. Like it just looked great. Yeah. yeah. And it's not the best financial decision. Definitely. Um, it did not make like a lot of financial sense. Like it's not like a house that, you know, you know, like Graham Stephan, he bought like a duplex that, you know, basically he can live in it for free, but I didn't, you know, make that decision. I bought a house that I just vibe with. Um, so that's kind of like how it happened. Um, I don't think it's the best financial decision, but emotionally, I think I needed that. Yeah, because I what I love about your training is like you're about the fire movement, you know, like financial independence, but also not like um, with more luxurious things, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think as women, it's like we just like beautiful things. And I I totally get that your primary residence should be like a sanctuary, you know what I mean? So yeah, um, and safety is also a key for women. Like I feel like for guys, oh, yeah, they can live in like a kind of sketchy neighborhood and, you know, (laughs) they're fine. Like they're not as afraid, but I'm like, hey, like I need like, you know, I probably need like a gated community. I probably need like HOA. I probably need like really good neighbors. I need to be in a good neighborhood so that I, you know, don't get myself in danger. That's kind of how um, the thought process worked. That's awesome. And what, when do you think like you went from like um, kind of Graham stuff, can I say that? Like kind of like his style, like, you know, just uh, basically saving everything to like, hey, maybe I can have fun with it. Maybe I can um, live a more luxurious. When did you make that like decision? I think I've always really struggled with balancing, you know, the personal finance side of things and also, you know, the luxury side of things. Um, I think I like growing up, I always liked designer handbags. It was like, it was like the thing that made me feel happy. Like, oh, they're so beautiful. Like, like there, there's a saying in Chinese, like, and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's definitely me. Like, you know, bags, they like cure everything. <laughs> basically. And so growing up, I always liked designer handbags, but of course also with like my parents influence and how they really want me to save. So I've always like kind of like went to two extremes. So I remember in my earlier days of collecting designer handbags, I was also reselling designer handbags. So I turned my passion into sort of an income stream. So that's kind of how I balance the two. Um, because, you know, I like expensive things. I have to find a way to make money to support my expensive hobbies. Yeah, that's so cool. Cause you're kind of like solo. I mean, I have a husband. Congratulations um, on uh, getting married. Um, uh, are your parents like still like? Are they finally proud? Like, I, I don't know your parents, but like, you know, immigrant families are all just like, oh, why aren't you now? Now you made it literally. Like, how uh, how do they feel about that? I don't think the parents really feel much about anything. <laughs> I have never heard them ever say proud like that was not a word that was ever used in my life I think it's more like I think ever since I like got into USC and they're still in China and I'm like all the way in LA they just stop like I guess micromanaging me and I also have a sibling so you know I guess they're busy with my sibling too and you know ever since then it's just been kind of you know they just let me do my thing I guess there's a level of trust but I I think proud is a very (laughs) word I feel like you're at like the highest level that like a Chinese parent can feel for like their kids. You know what I mean? No, man, I don't have a job. So my parents are like, mm. really? oh, damn, that's so crazy. So can you, can you tell us a little bit more about like what you help your clients do? Um, mm. What do you help them achieve? Um, yeah. 
and yeah, the, the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So basically my roadmap is pretty simple. It's a four-step roadmap for the passive income ecosystem. And I walk them through saving, investing, expanding their income streams and planning their early retirement. So these are the four main steps. And I think the, like the biggest part that helped me personally was expanding my income streams because just saving and just investing on a limited paycheck, let's say you make like 60 K or, you know, like like uh, an amount that is not enough to support the type of life that you want to live, you really have to expand your income streams. Like a lot of, I think the personal finance space, they preach, oh yeah, just saving, you know, rice and beans, beans and rice, and just depriving yourself and skipping your stomach's order. And I'm personally not a fan of that. I don't think it's very sustainable. First of all, like if you keep depriving yourself, you're, you're gonna like break there, there will be a breaking point. It's like going on a very strict diet and like, oh yeah, not eating for days. Like that's not sustainable. And so um, I, I really focus on like helping people expand their income streams by discovering what is in alignment because everyone is different. And I don't believe in a cookie cutter income streams. Like some people um, like that I have heard, they spend thousands of dollars on high ticket selling, you know, you know, doing cold calls and stuff. And then they're like, oh yeah, like, I'm not sure if I should um, discuss names, but deadlock is like really big in that field. And yeah. I know a couple of people who bought his course and spent like literally like 10k 20k 30k into his coaching um into his programs and they ended up not doing high ticket coaching at all because they don't like talking to people on the phone <laughs> that makes sense yeah. right and so i think a lot of times um people get so get so obsessed with like the results that other people get without realizing that, Hey, I am a unique being and what works for them might not work for me. So that is where the expand portion really comes in. And like inside of my program, I have a lot of coaching. I pretty much like I have one-on-one access. I have group coaching calls so that people can actually get access to me and ask me questions to figure out like, what are some income streams that actually are in alignment with, you know, their needs and their passions and, you know, the, their personalities too. Because like, for example, um, some people look at day, tra- day trading and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to make like 10 gain in a single day. But like, if they just like passive income streams, day trading is not a passive income stream. And so, you know, that that's also a big part that I see kind of, you know, just people getting into fields and wasting time and money um, because they don't know themselves and they don't know how important it is to find income streams that actually align with their needs. That's so important. And I love that you say that it's different from everyone else because so many coaches are this is the way you have to be or you're a loser, you know? So that's uh, your way is much better. I'm in your Facebook groups and you're giving good advice and you have a lot of diverse people. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about the clients that you work with? Like what have they been Mm -hmm. able to do? Yeah. Yeah. So I work with mostly people who already have really busy lives because there's a reason why people want to retire. Like if your life is like so perfect right now, you probably don't want to retire. So I work with people who have like really high stress jobs, mostly um, uh, corporate people, people in different industries, some in marketing, uh, some in accounting, of course, um, some in engineering even. And um, after they work with me, they usually build at least three new income streams. And um, part of it is stock market investing. So one of my clients, his name is Matt. After he worked with me, he went from having a 5k portfolio that was like, he had it for years, but it's not really generating him any income to right now. I think he has around 65k in his portfolio. Yeah. And he's, he's an engineer by his profession, but he also got so confident with stock market investing that he started a a YouTube channel on top of his career. And that YouTube channel is about stock market investing. And I think right now it's around two, 3000 subscribers. So that's another income stream that he has. 
That's incredible. Oh my God. He better have paid you. I mean, coaching. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. He should give you extras. Um, so you also retired. So, um, what is that? You're in your twenties, right? So it's like, uh, what is that like being like a, a 20, 20 something retiree? Honestly, so freaking weird. Like, and (laughs) I'm the type of person who I actually don't like resting, you know? Um, (laughs) sometimes I really look at other people who who are just like, you know, happy resting, you know, they're just like happy taking a break and happy, you know, enjoying their post-retirement lifestyle. And I'm personally not like that. And I get a lot of hate for it. Like a lot of people look at me and they're like, oh my gosh, Cherry, you are not retired. You're still working. You're still hustling at your business. Like you're such a liar. Like I get that a lot, (laughs) but I just feel like retirement is about freedom. And if, if post-retirement I'm forced to take a break and I'm forced to do nothing, that's not freedom to me. And so I, I don't even know like exactly how I feel about post-retirement yet, because it is true. Like I'm still doing a lot of things. Like for example, right now I'm like, you know, on this call with you and technically it's like kind of business, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's really weird. All I can say is that I am doing the things that I, I get to do that I want to do, not something, not things that somebody else like shoved down my throat. So that's like the biggest difference between, I guess, retiring from corporate um, and, you know, I guess, working corporate. That's awesome. And at what age did you retire? Like officially? Uh, officially, I think 26. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Just last year, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Very recent. You set the bar so high. I love it. But it, it is achievable for everyone. Like you said, you know, with your clients. And it's funny, you get like so many haters. And can you like, just tell us a little, how do you handle like people who are just so negative? You know, sometimes it really gets to me, um, especially I think, I think, um, what's that word for it? Like people who take you for granted or like, I guess people just, um, entitled people really get to, yeah, yes, yeah. like there are a ton of people who, you know, consume your content and, you know, they maybe watch your YouTube videos or listen to your podcast or, um, like watch your TikTok videos. And they just think that you owe them something because they watch you because they watch your content. <laughs> so crazy like, and that really gets to me because I'm like hey I'm literally doing like basically charity work all yeah. this are for free. <laughs> like like TikTok pays me peanuts and YouTube yeah. also doesn't pay me that much like like literally I'm doing this for free the money I pay my video editors it's like a lot more than the money I you know earn from these platforms but then I guess it really gets to me and I'm still trying to work through it but it really gets to me when people are just like entitled and they're like oh yeah Jerry you owe me things like without me you wouldn't be who you are today I'm just like <laughs> that's so fucked up um <laughs> yeah but everyone please go follow her TikTok because <laughs> I love seeing you take down the haters this is so funny to me um but seriously it, it makes sense because it triggers something in them right because you're young you're beautiful you're rich like you literally and they you know they feel triggered they're not able to do that so they want to lash out so I guess that does make sense in a very sad way but um yeah, yeah. um so what is like a day in the life for you is every day different like, uh, with- it depends um on traveling days usually like I like every day is different like for example sometimes we go on hikes early in the morning sometimes we just like sleep in you know so traveling every day is different and then when I'm at home also I don't have like a routine um one of the biggest reasons why I retired from corporate actually is because I want to care for my mental health and when I was in corporate my life was so like scheduled like oh yeah um 5 a.m you hit the gym and then afterwards you hit the showers and then you go to work at like 
I don't know, like eight, nine. Right. And then afterwards, lunchtime, half an hour, and then keep grinding until like, you know, dinner time and then you eat dinner and then you continue grinding. So it's like, you know, very structured. And so I intentionally made my life really like not structured. And so I remember reading a comment on TikTok. It's like, oh yeah, what is your daily routine? I'm just like, I, I don't know. I don't have one. Because <laughs> it's like intentional for me to not put so much pressure on myself anymore because I really want to take the time to care for my mental health and to just like, I guess, live with the flow, which is like something so freaking hard to do. Like, it's so hard for me to live with the flow because I'm so used to structure, but I, I really do think that's what I need for my mental health because I don't want to treat myself like a machine, but a lot of times I feel like I'm treating myself like a machine or like basically treating myself as a slave. And I'm like, oh yeah, Charlie, you have to produce, you have to, you know, create impact. So that that's something I'm actually like staying away from. Yeah. And I, I'm, I think it's so important just to, during these times, caring for our mental health is like top priority. I'm so glad you touched on that. Um, did you feel like you experienced anything different as like a minority in like a corporation as a woman? Do you feel like it's any different or what are your thoughts on it? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Funny thing. Um, so in, in, in my ex company, I feel like everyone's like pretty much white to be honest and all the upper management they're like 90% white and like also majority male and it, it was in tech too so a lot of guys and I just remember um I'm, I'm not sure if I've shared this like well yeah I haven't shared this yet in this episode but I was actually fired so um I had to take medical leave because I had really severe depression and anxiety. And then after my medical leave, I'm like, no, I have to get back to work. And so my doctor's like, hey, you're not ready. But I'm like, no, I have to get back to work. So after I went back to work after two weeks, so I didn't even like it was during the ramp up period. I didn't even like do anything yet. They fired me. And so, yeah. yeah. And so I just remember in the exit meeting, I was just like, in, in the Zoom or in like the call and everyone else is just white. And they're just like, oh yeah, like you're fired. And they give like a really shitty reason. Um, it, it was just, it didn't make sense at all. It has nothing to do with, with my performance. And they just like, yeah, you got fired. And um, looking back, I'm just like, you know what? Like, even if I stayed, even if somehow I kept my job during that time, do will I really get to the point where, you know, like a white version of me or a white male version of me would get to, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I just feel like it, it's very tough when I feel like the corporate world is already led by so many, like, you know, like non-minority people. So as a minority, as a like Asian female, like usually it's a lot harder. There's like the bamboo ceiling, there's like the glass ceiling. So it's like two ceilings. And of course, like as women, you also have other, you know, pressure from society, from family. And, you know, because I'm Chinese, I also have expectations from, you know, both families, my family and my husband's family. Oh, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to, you know, take care of your family, things like that. And so I just think it makes it super hard to be successful in corporate, not saying that it's impossible, but I do think it's like a lot harder. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Because when I used to work with like H1B clients, they would always ask me like, how do I like, they would ask me like, how do I start a conversation with them? And it was a lot more like soft skills. And part of me is just like, even if I tell you if it's, you know, the wrong organization, are you going to be able to fit in that much? Right. And I just feel like, just wondering if it was, you know, universal or just, you know, my clients, thank you um, for sharing that with us. And can you tell us a little bit more about like, how did you start your, like, how did you get your first client? So I guess walk us through like, okay, you're not in your corporate job anymore. What made you decide, okay, I'm going to like 
start a business now? And what was that like? Uh-huh. It's very funny because I actually started my business when I was in college. So this like, okay. channel, like this whole thing started when I was in college and I've always been like juggling the two. So okay. it's kind of like I'm living like double life. So I would like go to work and then at the end of the day, I'm just going to like focus on my business, focus on my YouTube, um, focus on, you know, all the social media stuff. And then I got my first client when I was still at my previous job. Oh. Um, and I, I think he... Uh, he found out about me from my YouTube, but then he learned more about me from my IG. And I think that's very, I think it's very crucial for people to have, you know, multiple social media platforms. If like, let's say they're using YouTube, but YouTube does not have like, you know, a community building aspect. Like it doesn't allow people to like necessarily DM you as much, but then if you're just using IG, it's like all in one. So it's fine. So I think that's how it happened. Um, he just like, you know, watches my YouTube videos religiously. And then on IG, I just announced that, Hey, like I'm opening this new program. And it was actually like a beta testing. So I did like a beta round with like super low price. And then that's how my first client reached, um, found me and, you know, reached out to me and then um, he signed. And I remember like, it was like a three digit investment at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, three digit. Like this is, this is like, you know, I was like over the moon because this is like someone yeah. who, you know, I actually spoke to and, you know, trusted me enough to join my program when it's still like in the beta stages. Like it's not like a fully built up program. I'm just like testing here, but you know, it, it's a great feeling having that first client to trust you. Yeah. That's awesome. And what do you say to people who are like kind of scared to get themselves out there on YouTube? Because like literally people would say you're the first Chinese person I see on YouTube because like our culture is so like you can't make any mistakes. So like what would you say to people who are like, you know, afraid of being more visible and out there? Yeah. So one thing that I like to remind myself is how do I want to live my life? Like, what do I want to lead my life with? Do I want to lead my life with fear? Like, do I want to live my life letting fear dictate all my decisions and all my actions? Or do I want to actually, you know, try out everything and see what sticks, right? And a a lot of in life and in business is all about experimenting with different things. And there is no failure. There's only feedback. Feedback about like, you know, how you can do better next time or feedback about, you know, what might work better for you. And so I'm personally someone who really believes in just trying everything. Like I don't regret choices that I've made already. The only like regrets I've had ever is like choices that I wish I've made, right? Like decisions I I wish I'd made or steps I wish I took. But out of every single like so-called mistakes I've made in life, like I think they helped me to become who I am today. And I don't really actually regret them. That's awesome. I love it. And um, I'm glad we can talk about this because like, do you feel like there's a difference between Chinese wealth versus American wealth mentality? Like, do you see it? Oh, so different. (laughs) I'm glad you brought this up because I I see this a lot too. I feel like Americans are usually very much into individuality. So it's like, oh yeah, I'm self-made. I did all by myself. I got to where I'm at today. And uh, there's also like a subsection, especially in personal finance saying that, oh, I struggled this hard to earn wealth. My kids better know what it's like to struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, mm, I don't know. Cause I'm personally, I guess I'm more traditional. If I can avoid suffering for my kids, like I don't want them to do unnecessary suffer. Like, of course I want them to know the value of hard work, but like, I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to donate all my money. So you're going to start from scratch and, you know, start from the bottom. Like that's not my mentality. And I also want to be like very open about the fact that of course my parents helped me. Like, of course, my parents were like supportive in my you know upbringing. Like, of course, it helps, right? And 
I also believe in generational wealth. I also want to pass that down to my children and I don't want them to, you know, have to start from the bottom and, you know, like grind and hustle and, you know, like start from being broke. Like, I, I don't want that to happen. So I, I guess I see that as a main difference. Like, I feel like Chinese wealth is like more family oriented and more like, you know, generations maybe building a legacy. Whereas American wealth, a lot of times I see it as more individualistic and people like to say that they've made it themselves and they didn't get any help from anyone. And I also see like, I guess I also see some entrepreneurs say that, oh yeah, like um, I, I'm a single income household and they're like super proud. And they're like, I'm like, I don't, um, I don't spend a dime that like my partner makes or whatever. I'm just like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I subscribe to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, we have so much to say on like the Chinese woman on the not spending the, the man part. Yeah. Um, what, what do you have to say about men who call women like gold diggers and stuff? Like what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I get that a lot because you know, I like designer handbags, right? And then so, so whatever. And they can't fathom that, you know, yeah. like great people have brains too. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Like whenever, whenever some like, I don't know, some entitled men see that, oh yeah, a woman has wealth symbol. She must have a sugar daddy. She must have, you know, like, I don't even know what other words, like she must be selling her body or she must be, you know, using her sexuality to get to where she's at. And like, I, I see that kind of as a, they get so hurt, like their egos are so hurt that they feel the need to take others down. Yeah. And I truly think that like, it, it's very, like from my perspective, it's very stupid for people to even subscribe to the whole gold digger thing because in my world, like in my real life world, being in the tech space, real estate, real estate space, or like course creator space, people who are actually making money, none of them subscribe to gold diggers. Like they don't give an F. And honestly, guys actually with money, they don't call anyone gold diggers. They're like, yeah, I'm proud to have money. And if someone sees my ability in making money, I like that. Like that that's recognition. Like no one no one gets so bitter about the whole gold digger thing, except for people who don't have money. Right. Exactly. And it's always people who don't have money who are like, oh yeah, women are such gold diggers that are like leeches. Like I get the most nasty stuff ever. And there's also like a sub community. It's like a Reddit, I guess, community. It's called like MGTOW. So it's like men going their own way. And somehow they, they also overlap with like personal finance. So when I create personal <laughs> finance content, they find my channel and they start attacking me. <laughs> That's crazy. They're really not going their own way if they're trying to. They're, they're, yeah, they're not going their own way. I'm like, how are you going your own way if you're just like out there attacking women who are yeah. not dealing with you in general? Yeah. That's hilarious. I always love seeing like your your reactions to the trolls and your response is hilarious. I'm trying um, to do it less, man. Like, <laughs> I just, I don't want to give them the attention. I think a lot of times that's what they want. Like, they're like oh, I want a response from you because that makes me feel like I'm being seen. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. No. I don't want to, you know, give you attention if that's what you want. Like, you know, just continue living your life and don't bother me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But boost the algorithm. So I guess. Uh, some, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you, can you share with us? Like, what do you, can I ask for predictions? Like, what do you think will happen in 2022 in the financial predictions market? in or, terms of like the stock market or, or I guess, yeah. Or maybe like what advice would you give for people looking to invest uh, in this year? Okay. I don't have a crystal ball, unfortunately, so I don't know exactly what happened in the stock market. But in terms of investing, I believe more and more people should invest in themselves instead of looking outwards. I think a lot of times when we think about investments, we're all like, oh, external investments. What can I put my money into outside of me? 
but you've got to understand that you are the one who creates money. And like, even for, you know, really famous, like investors and whatnot, like, let's say like the personal finance gurus, I can think of like Jeremy from financial education. He has like a pretty big YouTube channel, like a couple hundred thousand subscribers. Him, he himself does not make all his money from stock market investing. He makes his, like most of his money from all these different income streams. So you've got to invest in yourself so that you have the knowledge to make all these income streams. Same thing with Dave Ramsey. Like he always talks about rice and beans, beans and rice. Anna, like he did not get his wealth from rice and beans. He got his wealth <laughs> from, you know, teaching about personal finance from his like different courses, his different books, his different radio shows. That's how he earned his money. So more people have to, you know, be open to investing in themselves. And yes, it's like freaking scary. Because that's so different from what we're taught. We're always taught that, oh yeah, you're you're supposed to trade time for money. You're supposed to work for a company. But then like these things are so limited. Your time is limited. And when you rely on your salary, you're giving up your control. It's like basically saying, oh yeah, company dictate how much I'm worth. Instead of I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to figure out ways to make money beyond just my job. So like, I I think my biggest prediction is more and more people are going to wake up to the fact that job, like their job is not their only identity is not their only income. And they can, they can, you know, discover more ways to make money. And 2022 is a great time to start investing yourself and, you know, realizing what are some ways that you can make money with. I love that. And that leads perfectly into how can we stalk you? How can we buy your courses? How can we learn more about your coaching? Yeah, of course. So I am always on IG. Like that's my favorite spot. Um, I post a bunch of content on there and you can also find a lot of resources in my LinkedIn bio. Uh, I also have a podcast called Early Retirement Advantage. My program is called um, early retirement academy so if you want to join it just dm me like right now the program is on rolling enrollment so it's not like a set date a set window or set launch date and it's intentional so that you know people who are actually committed they take action and it's not like you know we have to wait till like x stage in order to take action that's awesome so thank you so much for sharing so much of your wisdom um i learned so much from this i'm sure everyone else did as well and uh, thank you so much for being on the show and hope to have you on future episodes to come Thank you so much for having me. Awesome.